The book of Acts is an accumulation of stories about the early church. And it seems so appropriate to be reading from the books of, book of Acts this day, this Sunday after confirmation, this Sunday after so many of our high schoolers and college students graduated. This Sunday, as all of us, whether starting out on new journeys or pilgrims on our way, hear of those first believers, of Paul who in his manifest destiny sets out to spread the word of the gospel, the gospel of radical love and acceptance to the world. The book that became known as Acts is named such implicitly comparing these stories of the church to Hellenistic writings by the same name. Writings that described the accomplishments of famous men and lure of the time. In the passage that Karen is about to read, there are several interesting pieces. And I know that there are wonderful people who print our scripture in the bulletin every Sunday, but I invite you to take this little red book if it's near you, from your pew. And I invite you to open it to page 127 because it is right before our passage for today. See, the lectionary is a three-year rotation of scripture that's used to invite pastors to challenge themselves to um, preach on unfamiliar texts, but it's always interesting how they divide it up. And we can find that right before our passage for today, if you start in verse 6, under 16, you see that Paul is setting out to all these different places. See, right before Paul heads out with confidence in the direction that he feels God is calling him to, through this dream that we will hear about, before that part, there is a lot of Paul not knowing not knowing where to go with his good news. Paul knows that he wants to go somewhere with his excitement and his anticipation, but does he go to Asia or does he go to north to Bithynia, Or does he even start out and just go somewhere? And he finds himself heading out and having to turn around, both the Holy Spirit and Jesus' spirit directing and redirecting him. And of course, as in all of their lives, all of our lives, there's also some waiting. Then, for the first time in Acts, the language changes from the third person that they, they went here and they went there to we. The author including themselves in the text and maybe inviting us to do the same. How often do we, how often do all of us write ourselves out of the narrative? Letting things happen to those people in that place, but never to me. How often do we think of ourselves or even our faith as that thing that those people do rather than a thing that we do together? And the third interesting piece of this text centers around Lydia. This woman who is a stranger in a strange land, the text specifically telling us that she is from somewhere else, but living and working as a dealer of purple cloth in Philippi. 
Where Paul's journey was inspired by a dream of a Macedonian man, we are left instead with an Asian businesswoman who prevails upon Peter and his followers to stay in her home, living the radical hospitality that Christ calls us to. The only other time that the phrase prevails upon appears in scripture in this way, the only other time that appears though is in the story of the road to Emmaus. And a quick recap of that story, this is a story where some of the disciples after Jesus's crucifixion are heading from Jerusalem to Emmaus and on that road they meet a stranger and they walk and they talk with this stranger sharing their anxieties and their worries about what is to come having given up everything to follow a dead savior. And these disciples, as they're sharing with this stranger, they reach their destination and they prevail upon him to share a meal. And as they break the bread, they realize that this wasn't a stranger, but it was Christ all along. I wonder if it's an accident that the only other time these words for prevail upon, the only other time these words are used are to describe Lydia. And maybe through her, Christ is present there too. As Christ was present on the road to Emmaus, only if we open our eyes to recognize him. To recognize Christ in those unexpected people. So let us listen to a scripture about believers then and now. Some who get lost and they don't know where to go. Let us listen to the story about them, to it becoming a story about us. Let us listen and discover the ways that Christ is present in the unexpected. From the book of Acts, chapter 16. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us, she was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of all of our hearts. Be glorified in your sight, for you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was a little girl, my mother always told me that home is where the heart is. I remember her saying that to me specifically when I turned 15 and my parents had called a family meeting, announcing that we were moving from Metro Boston to Wyoming. And I remember in all my teenage glory, with some snark, I replied how I'm sure she needed to believe that to be true as much as they moved us around the country. My first move was right after my eighth birthday, when in a reverse westward expansion, we were leaving the mountains of Colorado, my family loading our belongings into a Mayflower moving van and heading east. I remember getting into our blue Dodge Plymouth and my mother tearily telling us to look back and to wave goodbye to the only home I'd ever known. We moved into a house on Boston Street in Salem, Massachusetts, the land of the witches, with a parking lot for a front lawn and a laundromat next door to ensure that our home always smelled of fresh linen. There was even an auto body shop right behind us that would flash lights onto the ceiling late at night as the tow trucks brought in cars for repair. We were only there for a year, my father serving as an interim pastor. I would only walk up Gallows Hill to no joke Witchcraft Heights Elementary School for that year. I would get dipped cones from Wickedy Witch, vanilla ice cream dripping down my hand as I ate through the chocolatey exterior. The next, that year we kept a lot in boxes, not needing to unpack our whole lives. And then we were off to Maine for another interim year. We lived in a parsonage right across the street from the church, an old farmhouse with horsehair plastered walls that crumbled when my mom tried to hang her pictures. And with a wood stove that kept us warm even when the New England ice storms broke power lines. We lived on 14 acres that went to the bay in the village of Hancock with only 500 residents. I like um, to think on large attendance Sundays when we have over 500 people that if I lived in Hancock, that would be everybody in town coming and sitting in our sanctuary. In this little village where old Mr. Lewis would drive from his house to the, um, his house that was on the point to the center of town every morning to raise the flag. And in nice weather, he would get in his old Model T and that would put, put, put along the dirt roads. And if I flagged him down, he would allow me to ride along with him. I moved right after my eighth, my ninth, and my tenth birthdays. But then for a little while, we stayed. Five years in the town of Haverhill, an old mill town in northern Massachusetts. It was there that I was part of a church where I was confirmed with all of my doubts and questions. A city where I lived two blocks from my best friend and we would spend our summers biking around the neighborhood 
going to movies, and I somehow convinced her that it was fun to help me with my paper route. I know my story of moving is not a unique one. We live in a transient world where now, more than ever, ideas of home are no longer geographically bound. My husband's family is a little bit of an anomaly to this. See, they live two blocks from the 1700s homestead that was deeded to his ancestor by Johann Vermley, by William Penn. My mother, to my mother-in-law's dismay, my husband and his brother are the only two members of their extended family who've left a 45-minute radius of this homeland in central Pennsylvania. We used to know who we were because of where we were from. We lived in geographic proximity to our ancestors. This contributed to our sense of belonging. But this is more of an exception than a rule. And for us, as for Paul, life holds twists and turns, adventures that we head out on and times where we have to turn around, feeling a pull leading us somewhere else. There will be moments when we get it wrong, but oh, the places we will go. Oh, the places you will go. The book by Dr. Seuss, a book given to graduates everywhere, wasn't written at the beginning, though. It was written at the end, one year before Dr. Seuss died. I imagine him looking back on his life, on all that it had held. I imagine him reflecting on his successes and his failures and maybe even reflecting on his death. But I cannot help in this wonderful book, I cannot help but wish to rewrite it. At least write, rewrite a little bit of this beloved story. I love the twists and turns that the story takes and the way that that truly mirrors our lives, but there's something missing. Because the unnamed character the character that is a fill-in for you and for me, they journey completely alone. But as this story from Acts reminds us, this is not just a you or I or me story, but it is an us and we story. For while our lives are our own, one of the greatest promises of our faith is that we do not walk alone. And maybe in the places that we go, if our hearts are open, we too will have others prevail upon us and the Lydia Christs of this world who take up place in a strange land and make it home, maybe they will show us God's radical love and hospitality. This summer, as I set out on sabbatical, I will miss you all. I will miss this place that has been my spiritual home, where you all have loved and nurtured me and let me grow. And I will revisit these other places where I have learned and grown in faith. 
From the mountains of Colorado to the rocky beaches of Maine to the mill towns of Massachusetts. I will open my heart and mind to these religious communities, asking clergy how they, and maybe how we, can create a sense of home and belonging in our transient world. So that in the many places that we will go, we do not have to walk alone. Our children will not have to walk alone. And that we, together, will feel the love of God. There was a practice within the early church where for absolution or to pray or to meditate on specific problems, pilgrims would move themselves from one place to the next, giving up possessions and creature comforts in search of answers and forgiveness, in search of hope and love, and not the gushy, sentimental, romantic love, but the love that transforms the way that we feel about ourselves and the world. But I wonder if to be pilgrims, we do not have to go on any special, or maybe I should say any specific journey. In the art of pilgrimage, Phil Cousineau writes that Everywhere you go is a secret room. To discover it, you must knock on walls and listen for the echo that tells of a secret passage. For everywhere has a secret room. You must find it on your own. In a small chapel, a tiny cafe, a quiet park, the pew where you sit, where the morning light strikes the stained glass just so. As a pilgrim, you must find it or you will never really understand the hidden reason why you left home. And I cannot help but wonder, though, if Phil would go on to write that for the true pilgrim, it isn't about finding some secret place where the holy is hidden despite or maybe in spite of all the places that we will go. But that maybe, don't tell her this, but maybe my mother was right all along. That home is where the heart is. And maybe that is where the holy lives too. Amen. Amen.